0: Uh, you will be so pleased to know that I did in fact fall in a creek today.
1: I know you did. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to say it at any point. It's just. It's just always true. Every the day. The assumption is always that you are somehow underwater.
0: <laughs> I've never been fully immersed. I've never been underwater. It's never gone to above the hip, as it were. <sighs>
1: Well, I mean, it's still an impressive number of times you've fallen in a creek, considering my number of times I've fallen in a creek is none. It sounds like you're just not trying hard enough. That's fair. Yeah.
0: (sighs) Hello, alleged human, and welcome to the Chaos Lever podcast. My name is Ned, and I'm definitely not a robot. I am a human who is not able to quickly calculate the odds of future occurrences through something I like to call psychohistory. I definitely will not override my three rules with a subtle rule zero to protect humanity. With me is R. Chris Hainer, who is also here. Hi, Chris.
1: I like the fact that psycho and history are spaced.
0: I know they're not in the book, but I I never
1: understood why he called it psychohistory to begin with, right? Well, I just assume it's because the past of our species is complete lunacy. Well, that is true. See,
0: I thought it was some sort of shortening of psychological history.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it was. But for the purposes of this joke... Oh, we don't do jokes.
0: You're on the wrong podcast. This is very (laughs) straight-laced. Maybe it's because you're a robot. I mean, yes. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) That was was the joke all along. (laughs) Chris is the robot. (sighs) Well, now that we've gotten that out of the way, this is our annual follow-up on our predictions episode from last year.
1: Which everyone, I'm sure, has reviewed multiple times and remembers completely.
0: Oh, yes. I assumed everyone was taking copious notes a year ago. So we don't actually need to review what any of those predictions are.
1: (laughs) I got a few. You got a bunch. That's the episode. Ah, Yeah, pretty much. Good work, everybody.
0: I like how I say this is our annual tradition when this is like the first time we're basically doing it for Chaos Lever. <laughs> it still counts. I
1: suppose. First annual is in fact annual.
0: All right. I like that. We'll go with that then. So this will be a little bit different than our typical episodes. And there are also, you probably already noticed, there is no tech news of the week because it's the holidays and we're lazy. And there's no news. The news has stopped. It, it just stops and it will resume in the new year. That's how. No
1: problems work. with the purchase of Figma by Adobe
0: or anything. <laughs> God, I kind of like really want to talk about that, but we're gonna have to save it. It's the best possible outcome, if we're being honest. Especially for
1: the people at Figma, and just creatives in general. How come nobody has ever ended a relationship with me by saying, "Here's a billion dollars"? Well, you just didn't get it in writing ahead of time. That's probably part of it. Yeah, it's instead of
0: like a prenuptial, it's like a pre-prenuptial.
1: Right. So, all right. 2024 goals. Learn to read. (laughs) Oh, no. We've established
0: that reading is pointless and that podcasts are the future. (laughs) So, we are going to go over our predictions from earlier this year, essentially, and uh, see how we did. And, of course, the answer is I did amazing. Everything I said was right. No notes. And Chris, well... You tried, buddy. Is also here. <laughs> let's. I guess we'll start with mine, and then we'll go to yours. Okay. All right. So my first prediction was about outages and how we're going to see more outages in 2023 than we saw in 2022. But people will care less about that. So let's see how I did. I found a fun listicle from CRN which every time I say a listicle, I cringe a little bit, but sorry, everyone. I found a list of the top 15 outages of 2023, and there's uh, <laughs> some good ones in there. I I blanked most of these out. <laughs> I don't know if you remember them. If we could give an award for most outages of the year, Microsoft would win, handily. Yeah, it's a bad one. Yes, but in some ways, I don't think anybody might mind, minded all that much, and, and we'll get to why in a second. They had major Azure and Microsoft 365 slash Office 365 outages, including Teams. Now, the first of those Azure outages, those are super disruptive and bad. Like people have important things that they do in Azure, like offering services to other people, applications, whatever. Teams, it's more like a vacation. Oh no, Teams is down. I'm like, so sad. Where's my fainting couch?
1: Yeah, right. The reality is that people are more sad when it comes back.
0: Yeah, that is the actual uh, groan that you hear collectively when the services come back up. So uh, there were at least four major outages in January, March, June, and September. Now, there's no December outage as of this recording, but hey, (laughs) there's still time, Microsoft. Keep that quarterly streak
1: alive. Ten more days, man. That's double digits. Plenty of runway. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> so that was Microsoft. Oracle
0: Cloud had a two-day service outage in February because of DNS. Because it's always DNS. But no one noticed, of course, because it's Oracle Cloud. Oracle has a cloud? <laughs> You're just making stuff up. I know. I, I shouldn't confuse people. By saying that Oracle has a cloud that anyone uses. That's no, not nice. I'm sure somebody... I actually think Zoom uses it. <laughs> but we're in StreamYard, so it's fine. <laughs> Google had a fire-slash-flood in their Paris data center in April, which resulted in 90 services being impacted in Europe and permanent data loss for some of the cloud instances. Yeah. So it turns out See, they, they had these things called availability zones, which all the cloud providers have. But all of their availability zones, or at least a lot of them, were in the same data center, which is, um, that's not how zones are supposed to work.
1: Definitely not. <laughs> Fully independent and completely redundant, I believe, is the definition. Yeah. So it, it turns out
0: that, yes, they had separate power feeds and separate internet feeds. And physically, they were separate in the building, but the thing is, if something goes wrong with the water system and the whole building floods, it doesn't really matter that you did those other things. Yeah, the water doesn't, generally speaking, respect the line that you drew on the floor. (laughs) I'm imagining like a wave crashing towards, and then just stopping. Be like, whoa, whoa." that's availability zone D. We can't go in there. (laughs) Ah. Real parting of the Red Sea kind of moment there. Cisco, this one was great. Uh, They had an expired root certificate on their SD-WAN vEdge platform. Now, this didn't result in devices not working anymore, but the thing is you could no longer connect to them and remotely configure them, which is like kind of the point. Yeah, so mind your certificates, I guess uh, would be the lesson from that. AWS had a Lambda issue in June, which impacted a whole bunch of other services on the platform because those services rely on Lambda. Sometimes using your own services is a bad idea. And this is definitely not the first time that interdependence between services has brought down large portions of AWS.
1: Or even just fun things like having, say, for example, your downtime dashboard stored in S3.
0: (laughs) <laughs> In the same region where everything's down. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's a bad idea. There's a bunch more outages. You know, check out the post if you're interested, but I think I've made my point. So, were there a lot of outages? Yeah. Were there more than 2022? That was harder to say. I found a report from Uptime Intelligence, it's their annual outage analysis report. And it looks at data center outages, and ostensibly all of these clouds are in data centers. And according to their survey data, outages decreased from 78% of respondents having an outage in 2020 to 60% in 2023. So that's good. But even they question the validity of the reporting, and this is only data center outages, not counting application errors and cyber attacks. So I'm going to give myself a maybe on this one.
1: Yeah, there's going to be a couple that are in this category. And the biggest problem is the amount of data that we would have to crunch is so vast. And some of it's not even collected yet.
0: That's true. That is one of the problems about talking about everything that happened in 2023 is that the year is actually not over yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to come up a few times. Okay, so I, I spent a lot of time on that one. I'll try to spend somewhat less time on the next prediction, which was that we will have CXL available in the public cloud. I said AMD's Genoa and Intel's Sapphire Lake both carry support for CXL 1.1. Major cloud providers will start adding these new SKUs to their capacity in the first half of 2023, and then start offering IaaS SKUs that actually use the new hardware to consumers in the second half of 2023, and I was wrong. <laughs> The closest thing I could find is that Microsoft Research published a report in March of 2023 about a project they called Pond, a CXL-based memory pooling system for cloud platforms. Now, their research showed that pooling memory across 8 to 16 sockets using CXL can drastically reduce DRAM costs or DRAM costs by 7%, while maintaining performance within 1% to 5% of same NUMA mode VM allocations. So the VMs could be using memory that's on a completely different server across the CXL bus and have near the same level of performance they would if they were using storage that's on the same NUMA node as them. So that report exists. (laughs) (laughs) But it doesn't look like any of the major cloud platforms are actually using CXL at scale at least not publicly. The research from Microsoft clearly shows that using CXL for memory pooling could reduce their DRAM costs, and those costs represent 50% of the total cost for a server. And when you're running at hyperscale, saving what we'll call 3.5% on an average order of like 10,000 servers, that's pretty significant.
1: Yeah, I think we were just ahead of the game on this one. They're going to do... A lot more internal testing before any of this stuff makes it into even a press release, let alone a skew. Yeah, exactly. But the bright side is that means that you can reuse the entire prediction
0: until it becomes true. I'm definitely not going to do that. (laughs) Next prediction was that Elon will be CEO of less companies. And my best guess is that he steps down from Twitter gracefully, and then we see a rapid succession of CEOs churn through Twitter. And I said that we, were, we would see four different CEOs by the end of the year, and that Musk will also be forced out as the CEO of Tesla. Uh, I was right and wrong. Uh, you were wrong. Mostly wrong. Elon yeah. did step down as Twitter CEO in June of 2023, replaced by Linda Yaccarino. who is she? She was formerly in charge of ad sales at NBC Universal, and, before that, the COO of Turner Entertainment. Her primary job is to basically convince potential and current advertisers that Twitter is not an alt-right cesspool toxic to any brand that comes near it. Ironically, the biggest liability in this venture is previous CEO and all-around douchebag Elon Musk, who recently told advertisers to, quote, go fuck yourselves. Twice. Yes. Amazingly, Linda has not quit, (laughs) proving that she is either extremely tenacious or masochistic, or both. I'm not here to kink shame anybody. Sadly, I was also incorrect about Elon being the CEO of less companies since he decided to start a new AI company called XAI, because fucking of course, Uh, he is technically the founder. They don't actually have a CEO, but that's what he is for all intents and purposes. So got that one wrong. Couldn't have been more wrong, as a matter of fact. I mean, I could have, but let's not dwell on it. Yeah. Next one was Mastodon adoption will level off and then stagnate. That's the quote. So what happened? Yeah, no, I was right about this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one you couldn't have gotten <laughs> more right. <laughs> yeah. God, that felt weird saying out loud.
0: Ah, I'm sorry to make you do that. I looked at a website called Mastodon Analytics that gathers analytics from Mastodon, ostensibly. And it says that there were about 8.1 million users at the start of October, 2023. That's the latest numbers they have published. That's compared with 5.3 million users at the start of the year. So, you know, growth. But more important is the active users account, which was 1.7 million at the beginning of 2023 and is still 1.7 million at the start of October. With a gradual decrease over the year and then a strange spike in July. Hmm. wonder what that corresponded with and then a steady decrease again so i'd say what we're seeing is new people come to the mastodon platform they grow bored and then they abandon their account so the accounts live on unless there's an active effort to close them but no one's actually using the accounts after a certain amount of time yay
1: yeah i mean this one was not that hard to see (laughs) coming i don't think (laughs) No, it was not. There is just so much in Mastodon's way. <laughs> <laughs> like how difficult,
0: how, and I'm putting air quotes here, difficult it is to open an account and actually like find other people. It's not that hard, but it's like, it's harder.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's that. But in, as a counterpoint, I would point to the relative lack of success that Blue Sky has had. And True. Blue Sky is basically Twitter maybe what people want is not Twitter. Well, that's the thing. They (laughs) do not want anything to do with the toxic cesspool that is Twitter. But the problem is that's where everybody is. Still, yeah. And it's the, uh, what is it called? The network effect?
0: It's just called the network effect, yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those things where it's so impossible to figure out how to manipulate it and how to predict it. But at some point, everybody's just going to Somehow, not be on Twitter anymore. Yep, that has not happened yet. We're just not there yet.
0: All right, next prediction: Public cloud growth will slow by thirty percent. Take whatever twenty twenty two growth numbers are for AWS, Azure, and GCP in twenty twenty two, and cut them by thirty percent. So, how'd I do? It was difficult to come across good numbers for Google Cloud, or not difficult. I just I ran out of time, but The growth for Azure and AWS in 2023 versus 2022. Well, we only have the first three quarters to go off because they haven't published the Q4 results because Q4 isn't even over. But Azure growth dropped by 40% in Q1, 35% in Q2, and 17% in Q3 versus the previous year. And AWS saw declines of 56, 63, and 55, respectively. So if anything, I was under the drop in growth.
1: Which... I was and am surprised by.
0: I'm not surprised that growth has slowing. I'm surprised that AWS's growth slowed so much. And I'm not sure what, what that's all about. Probably something to do with AI. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I think this is my last. No, I got two more. Two more. SuperCloud will die an unceremonious death. This was more a hope than anything else. I said, I sincerely think that aside from SiliconANGLE, we won't see anyone in the industry continue to use this pointless term. The result? Well, SiliconANGLE keeps using it. I think they're up to SuperCloud Event 5 or something. But if I look at Google Trends, there's a peak of interest in April 2023, followed by a lot of lulls and nothing approaching that initial peak. Based on the cadence of SiliconANGLE's SuperCloud events, that's where the peaks tend to line up. So basically, they're gonna keep using the term for their marketing, but I haven't seen any kind of serious adoption outside of them. Unlike other terms, such as zero trust, AI, and platform engineering. Hey, speaking of which, my final prediction was DevOps is dead, long live DevOps. And I said, platform engineering is the new hotness, time for everyone to get a new job title, and a raise, Hey. I am now the head of platform development, which is, uh, it ended up being its own episode. (laughs) At least one. But was I right? Well, I'm not sure what my actual prediction was, but DevOps is still doing fine. Platform engineering spawned its own conference. It was a big subject at KubeCon Chicago, and it's just kind of pervasive at this point. The list of all the platform engineering stuff I've seen and read is pretty immense, but all of them, are very clear to say that DevOps is not being replaced by platform engineering. It's still alive and kicking. And that platform engineering is a component of being successful with DevOps. Listen to our episode. It's very long. Just for fun, for funsies, since I had Google Trends open anyway, I compared platform engineering, DevOps, and SuperCloud. And DevOps absolutely killed the other two. It buried them in the x-axis. If I remove DevOps from that, it helped to show that platform engineering is an actual thing that people search for and, and think about, while SuperCloud just kept hugging that x-axis. <laughs> so, sad. Oh, frowny face. Not sad. Those were all my yeah. predictions.
1: I, was, I did all right. I'll give you a solid C minus minus.
0: Ooh, is that like the uh, inverse of C++? No, it's actually a D. Oh, okay. Well, let's see how you did.
1: Okay. So, the first thing was kind of... Well, actually, the first few are dogpiling on yours. Yay! The first one is, not only will outages increase, but so will security incidents. (laughs) This will be caused by the economy as companies see inflation and decreasing customer spending as a threat to the bottom line. Therefore, they will do the only logical thing, which is to cut security budgets. Yay! So... This is going to be in that category of, we can't figure that out just yet. But I think I'm right. First of all, we know, at least anecdotally, that IT budgets across the board have been slashed. There have been layoffs galore all year long. Yep. And that's been bad. Not great. The incidents that have happened have often been larger and longer in terms of detail and the amount of effects that they have. According to a research company referred to, called Blue Voyant, Mm. quote, the average number of supply chain breaches that negatively impact organizations increased by 26% from 2022 to 2023, with the biggest problem being, quote, again, a lack of internal understanding across the business that third-party vendors and suppliers are part of the cybersecurity posture, unquote. And that, I think, is the huge key point which makes me right. (laughs) One of the things that people often took for granted was if I use an external tool, that external tool is safe. Mm -hmm. Full stop. Things like the breach and LastPass might have opened some eyes on that.
0: I think those two are particularly galling because they're both security tools. Octa's supposed to unify your sign-ons so you can have a single source of truth for signing on to everything. So you'd think, man, Ox has got to be super secure. And LastPass is supposed to hold your secrets. <laughs> so again,
1: super secure. They weren't. They were not, no. And the, the other problem is once you have an issue that is exploitable, even if the supplier themselves fixes it, the customer remains exploited. (laughs) Right. And the question of whether or not they recognize it, whether or not uh, patch whatever problems are then caused by it, it's a trickle-down effect. Exactly. That I think has caused a lot of, you know, those types of problems for companies.
0: I'm very excited that we capped off the year, at least so far, with a major breach from Comcast losing 36 million records because of Citrix vulnerability.
1: Because of Citrix.
0: Man, doesn't that just sum up 2023?
1: (laughs) I like how we're just doing tech news of the week, except we're throwing it into the episode.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I see. Hey, we ended up doing tech news anyway. Go us.
1: (laughs) I'm Ned. He's Chris. We know thing. Wait, I didn't even do that right. Ah. Damn it. (laughs) Okay, moving on. So similar to your thing about Twitter, I had a thing about Twitter. And basically what I said was he was going to hand over control to Sheryl Sandberg. Seemed plausible. (sighs) I'm annoyed about this. This is clearly a swing and a miss. The year started and after so many months of Elon being the only person in charge of Twitter, and I'm using in charge in huge air quotes, he finally hired the aforementioned Linda Yaccarino. As you mentioned, she was a lifer in the media industry. The big reason that she was brought on board is because of her experience with global advertising at NBC Universal, mm-hmm. where she was apparently strongly effective and widely disliked. <laughs> hmm. So she should have been perfect for Twitter. Indeed. Now, sadly, you know, just as sort of a postmark on this one, she really hasn't helped. And that's not her fault. I don't think that she's got any power of significant uh, ability to rein in, control, make changes, etc. On the biggest problem with Twitter, which is is, and will always be Elon himself. Mm -hmm. Why is she still there? Great question. But something tells me at the end of the year, she will find a way to give herself a massive raise for the inconvenience. One can only hope. As for Sheryl Sandberg herself. So... When she retired from Facebook, I thought this was a temporary thing. She said it was to, quote, focus on her philanthropic work. And even though she is still on the board at Facebook, at least at the latest update that I saw, which was from a few months ago, really, aside from unnecessary, awkward political commentary, not much has been heard from her on the economic or IT fronts. Now, It would be deliciously ironic if her philanthropic work actually involved helping people actively harmed by Facebook's inarguably massively negative impact on society. But that's Mm. probably too much karma for one humble podcast host to ask for.
0: Yeah, she's not Jeff Bezos' ex-wife,
2: all right?
1: (laughs) So, next up. This one was kind of a layup. Zero trust and passwordless will gain a lot more traction. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think I got that one fairly well figured out. All right. Let's hear it. Now, to be fair, we did say a lot, which is not really a trackable metric. <laughs> not not really, no. But if you have news articles from non-technical sources like Forbes being excited about passwordless, I think we're on the right track. Yeah. Last week, 1Password reported, quote, more than 700,000 passkeys created and saved by its users, doubling expectations end of year since the tech was added to the service in September. Wow. And that is just one provider. That's Mm -hmm. just one password. So you can extrapolate as much as you would like. More and more services are supporting the concept and technology of passkeys. The 1Password report lists over 100 with all of the big names you're probably thinking of, and honestly, the ones that we would need to drive the technology to widespread adoption. So, industry titans such as Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Nintendo, and OnlyFans.
0: Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Once again, porn driving things forward. We appreciate
1: that. It's the secret backbone of the internet. Not so secret. You know it. I know it. <laughs> all of a sudden, nobody's making eye contact.
0: Tim Berners Lee knows it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, to their credit, Microsoft continues to push the idea of passwordless hard, both for home users and enterprise users. Big update this year was that Microsoft allowed Windows to handle FIDO2 security keys, something else we talked about this year. Mm-hmm. Windows Hello has now got a business arm, mm-hmm. and Entra ID is still a thing that exists. Mm. Yeah. So. What I said in January, I still think is true. Getting people used to logging into their own computers without a password is a vital step towards passwordless understanding and thus acceptance. So by having Windows not even have a password as an option when you log in is probably the best way to do it. Because now you're dealing with this technology every morning, right? Right. It's that simple. And then when you f- start to realize, hey, you're trusting this technology with your laptop or your desktop or your work computer, I can probably trust fill-in-the-blank website.
0: It's definitely moving in the right direction because so many people are just never going to get on board with complex passwords that they need to store somewhere. So let's just make this even easier for you. I want to pause a second because one of the predictions that we made in the intro of the episode, which was not actually written down, was that Microsoft was going to change the name of one of their products. (laughs) (laughs) And it was going to piss me off. And wow, (laughs) did they exceed my expectations by renaming Azure Active Directory Entra ID. That happened somewhere in the middle of the year.
1: Oh, don't forget about all of the renaming of the Defender platforms.
0: Well, I think that's what how the rant started. But that actually happened before last year's prediction episode. But that rename of Azure AD happened in the middle of the year. And I wrote what is still my most popular post on LinkedIn about how I thought it was stupid and dumb and I hate everything. (laughs) Speaking of stupid and dumb and
1: things I hate. (laughs) So this one was actually a twofer that I didn't realize at first. Regulations are coming regarding AI and crypto. Oh, yeah. The two buzziest terms we can think of from last year have a lot in common. They're basically brand new. They're getting a lot of people talking. They can be used for evil. And they're completely unregulated. For now. Dun, dun, dun. With GPT-4 and other writing and creative AI coming out, there is going to be an increasingly vicious argument about copyrights and with the failure of FTX and the likely 25 to 40 year prison sentence for SBF, unquote. Mm Mm-hmm. And? Which made us all very happy. Very happy. So, as a result, well, we, meaning you and I, mm-hmm. were supposed to do a whole episode on this concept. But as usual, you dropped the ball. <laughs> I'm not did pointing I? fingers and I'm not naming names, but this is your fault.
0: Oh, oh, I was trying to figure out which thing we were supposed to do an episode on because we definitely did want an SPF. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. We were supposed to do one about all of the AI regulations that have come out this year, oh, God. of which there were many. I don't want It's so
0: boring to read.
1: <laughs> the EU put out their Artificial Intelligence Act. Joe Biden signed an AI executive order.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: all the tech dude bros pissed and moaned about how unfair it all was. Because honestly, won't someone think of the rent seekers? <laughs> oh, and of course how could we forget the fights around copyright and usage that ended up causing a joint writers and actors strike that lasted months?
0: Honestly, I think that hammered things home more than anything else because people tried to tune in to the new episodes of their favorite show this fall, and they couldn't.
1: Right. So, yeah, long story short, I think we nailed it on the AI front. hmm And I think more is to come because so far, a lot of this is suggestions. Right. In my mind, it's just kick the can down the road type behavior thus far, mm-hmm. and it's probably better that they don't rush. It is certainly good, in my opinion, that a lot of people continue to talk about how dangerous AI could potentially be if left unregulated, and I think some of the conversations along those fronts are reasonable. I think it we, it didn't take nearly as long as I thought it would for everybody to get off of the Skynet argument. Yeah. Really, the problem is going to be much more the mass income inequality and unemployment that's going to come from it. But how do you regulate that in a world that's already massively overpopulated? Uh, Well, I guess
0: you just have AI fix it for you, naturally.
1: (laughs) So I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, we nailed it. There are regulations coming down the pipe, but we're all still very sad. Indeed. But there was a bright side. Yeah, the part two of that was me just kind of throwing out some numbers and saying 25 to 40 years for the sentencing of SBF. So, and we talked about this one in great detail too, not only was he found definitely, unquestionably, extremely guilty, Mm -hmm. he was also shown to be a narcissistic moron by his own completely unnecessary and ill-advised testimony, allegedly in his own defense. So that was fun for everybody.
0: Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. And what's his name? The guy who wrote The Blind Side and Moneyball and all that other garbage? The Big Short? Oh. Michael something? Yes. Let's go with Michael Myers. Yeah, why not? Michael Myers, that guy. Uh, Yeah, he published a book, which has been roundly dismissed by everyone, that was fawning over SBF.
1: He's just misunderstood. Nope, he's actually a liar.
0: Yeah. Well, Michael Myers took to the um, Freakonomics podcast to defend himself, which was the straw that broke the camel's back. I finally unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> like, they were on thin ice for a while. I don't think I'd listened to an episode for months, but that was finally it. I was like, no, you're just, no.
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing I learned about that dude was that he was born a millionaire. <laughs> You did learn that, yeah. And also, he's incredibly easy to con.
0: Right, especially if you come from a particular background.
1: Right. So anyway, thanks to the vagaries of our justice system, SBF will not face sentencing until March 28th, 2024, which is like 100 days from now. Yeah, it sounds about right. (laughs) At which time he faces a maximum sentence of 115 years. Now, because these types of crimes almost never get max sentencing, I think I was right in the ballpark and 25 to 40 years might end up being right on. He's still going to spend
0: the most of the rest of his life in jail. And I'm fine with that. Michael Lewis was the author. There we go. And if anybody is interested in listening to uh, a lengthy discussion of Michael Lewis, uh, check out the Behind the Bastards podcast, where they talk about the book that he wrote about SBF, but get into his general life. And it's interesting. At the end of our episode, you brought up everyone's favorite soothsayer, Nostradamus. And he had some things to say about 2023.
1: Yeah, and so if the audience wears glasses, this might be the time to take them off and kind of start to squint. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. So we talked about three predictions for this year. Here's the first one. Like the sun, the head shall sear the shining sea. The black sea's living fish shall all but boil. Mm -hmm. And if we're squinting, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. In April, Ukraine pulled off an amazing feat by sinking the Moskva, which is Russia's flagship in, you guessed it, the Black Sea. Look at that. Now, there were no reports, per se, of boiling fish, but the sinking was done via a missile attack, so it might have been much warmer than usual in at least the immediate vicinity. All right. Stick with maybe. We'll go for it. The second one was a, quote, celestial fire on the royal edifice, unquote. Maybe? Sure. If you squint and make the fire metaphorical, this year saw Charles take the throne of England in what people referred to as a stupid, selfish, and pointless act. Mm-hmm. Charles is 75 years old, a moron, and widely disliked, even by English people. <laughs> this is all true, yes. Yes. The monarchy itself has never seen less support, even from English people. hmm And the drama around Prince Harry and Meghan Markle shows no sign of slowing down. And, of course, there are the usual reports of the king and his queen consort and their staff being just generally casually racist and out of touch, which I think surprises no one. Not at all. It genuinely seems like everyone involved is awful, which is a shame because the show Suits is a lot of fun. And somehow the freaking Brits found a way to ruin that too.
0: I feel like King Charles and Michael Lewis would really get along.
1: I'm sure that the book he writes is going to be glowing. And then finally, quote, seven months, great war, people dead through evil. The Antichrist very soon annihilates the three. 27 years his seven-month war will last. The unbelievers are dead, captive, exiled with blood, human bodies, water, and red hail covering the earth, unquote. Yeah. So first of all, he says that like every year. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Or some version of it. It's filled with internal contradictions. It might sound more interesting in the original Latin. I'm not sure. But the problem with those kinds of predictions is that they're always going to be correct. If you squint. Yep. We certainly had a world full of war zones in 2023, which is unpleasant, if unsurprising. Maybe we could, I don't know, stop doing that. Maybe. Not war. Let's do a not
0: war. Oh, has anybody suggested that? I feel like if we told people, you could just not kill each other.
1: I am probably just being optimistic.
0: (laughs) You probably are. All right. Oh. Well, hey, thanks for listening or something. I guess you found it worthwhile enough if you made it all the way to the end. So congratulations to you, friend. You accomplished something today. Uh, Chris and I will be back next week for our predictions for 2024. But until then, I hope you have enjoyed your holiday excessively because that is the only way to enjoy a holiday. You can find more about the show by visiting our LinkedIn page. Just search Chaos Lever or go to our website, chaoslever.cal, where you'll find notes, blog posts, in General Tom Fulry. We'll be back in the new year to see what fresh hell is upon us. Ta-ta for now. <music> boiling, did, are the seas going to boil and then red hail?
1: Well, you know, I wonder, when they say boiling fish, is it the water that's boiling or are you liquefying the fish and then boiling that?
0: Oh, that's a good point. Whichever one makes my hair look better.
2: You're out of luck, buddy.